We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and Happy New Year! Yes, it's January 1st, 2024, as we kick off our 11th season podcasting about the Chicago White Sox and the 6th anniversary of of rebooting SoxMachine.com. In this episode, we've got another White Sox signing as they bring starting pitcher Chris Flexen into the fold for a whopping $1.75 million. But while that signing clearly stole MLB headlines, the Boston Red Sox have been busy. They signed old friend Lucas Giolito, and then the very next day, traded old friend Chris Sale to the Atlanta Braves. Now the Red Sox are telling people they have to stay below the luxury tax in 2024, but still want to add starting pitching. Could the Red Sox be a team that calls Chris Getz about Dylan Cease? We'll discuss all those topics and more, and joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and hello, Jim. Happy New Year, happy 11th season podcasting together, and happy 6th anniversary of rebooting Sox Machine. Happy New Year, and happy uh, non- round or traditionally celebrated anniversaries to you as well <laughs> yeah last year it was 10th season podcasting together and the fifth season or fifth year rebooting socksmachine.com i don't know what the yeah i don't know what the gifts are we're supposed to get each other for number six. Oh yeah i should look that up the, we'll look that up later podcast listeners the plaid anniversary will. or something yeah ex- exactly so 2024 here we go and uh, we can't promise that the White Sox are going to be any better as they sign Chris Flexen to the starting pitching staff. And fun fact, Chris Flexen last year allowed more runs than he had strikeouts. And he pitched quite a bit. He made 29 appearances, 16 starts, pitched 102 innings. So the fact that he gave up more runs, 81, than he had strikeouts, 74, clearly is not good. And the big thing that jumps out, especially when you're looking at StatCast data, Jim, for Flexin, is just how awful the four-seam fastball 
was for him, especially with the Colorado Rockies. Opposing hitters hit 383, slugged 740 against Flexen's four-seam fastball, and he threw that pitch more than any other pitch of his arsenal. And the hard hit rate against his four-seam fastball was 53.3%, which means that more than half the time opposing hitters have an exit velocity of greater than 95 miles per hour when they make contact against Chris Flexen's four-seam fastball. The run value was negative 21 below league average. Out of the 2080 scale, you can make an argument this is a 35-grade pitch. And Jim, the White Sox give Chris Flexen $1.75 million to eat innings? I mean, what's the thinking here? Why did the White Sox sign Chris Flexen? Yeah, it was funny. I went to a Rockies-A's game in Denver. Uh, just happened to be taking a trip out there, and the Rockies were home, so I checked out the game and, and remember Flexen starting that game and thinking, like, oh, I know Chris Flexen was on the Rockies. And usually, like, when you don't know somebody's on the Rockies, it's – not great circumstances that brought him there. And uh, sure enough, he got rocked. Uh, I'm looking at his line now. Six runs on four hits and six walks over three and two-thirds innings. Actually, I'm, I was surprised. Like, I know that, you know, that was a front-loaded, awful way to start his Colorado term. But, like, over the last 11 starts, like, he was better. Like, had a couple difficult outings. But otherwise, like, he was throwing five, six innings a start. And so it's kind of like... Another Tuki Toussaint or Jesse Schultons type. Yeah, and which does not sound ideal, but I think, you know, you mentioned the issues with the fastball and having like one bad pitch that's not working. And I think there are two ways to look at it. If you're optimistic, you're thinking like, well, that's just one thing to fix. It's not like anything else is like terribly wrong. He's been healthy, making every start possible. Velocity is okay. It just might be a matter of like arm slot getting away from him, getting too vertical with it or not having the right hand position. And so like maybe one tweak gets him back on track and he's like an okay number four, number five starter, making every start you want, helping cross days off the calendar for the White Sox. And like that's not a bad use for 1.75 million for where the White Sox are. Uh, the other side of it, the pessimistic angle, is that he's somebody who was kind of a fringy pitcher to begin with. Like when he was having good years with the Mariners, nobody knew exactly how he was doing it. It was like kind of a kitchen sink approach where he could sequence pitches in any way. Yeah, the fastball, I think, had a little bit of extra hop on it. So he got some pop-ups that were maybe uh, above average in terms of like, you know, maybe not getting strikeouts, but also getting weak contact or like useless contact, easy to turn into outs and a slow curveball that worked for him initially. But then like the curveball stopped working and now it seems like the fastball stopped working. So maybe this is the way like a fringe pitcher eventually just kind of uh, loses effectiveness again, like piece by piece until he's settling for one year contract from a uh, team that doesn't want to admit it's rebuilding, but is pretty much rebuilding. And uh, this is the last year we'll see him in the majors, aside from maybe being bouncing up and down again. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. And I guess we'll see if this is a, a test for Brian Baster in terms of like having one weird trick that could get a guy back on track or whether like he's just uh, there and, and helpful, but maybe not for guys like Flexen who don't really have an abundance of stuff to work with. Yeah, this seems like the White Sox are hoping for a dead cat bounce, Jim, because 
In 2021, Flexen went 14 and 6. He had a 3.61 ERA. He made 31 starts and he almost made it to 180 innings. He finished the year at 179.2 innings. Ignore the win-loss record. If the White Sox could get 31 starts and 179 innings with a sub-4 ERA from Chris Flexen for $1.75 million, I mean, that's kind of hitting the lottery, right? <laughs> well, I mean, thir- 31 starts. Yeah. Uh, that's that's really all. Because if he's making 31 starts, that means it's not going terribly. And then last year, or I should say last year, 2022, a 3.73 ERA 33 games, some of those out of the bullpen. Interesting enough, Flexen had two saves in 2022 where he started 22 games and lasted 137 innings. And then, of course, the dumpster fire that was 2023. So if you're optimistic, and there are some of you that listen to this podcast that are very optimistic, the dream is can we get 2021 Chris Flexen and can – Brian Bannister and Ethan Katz discover something wrong with the four-seam fastball that gets him back on track and closer to his 2021 self. If they can't get him all the way back, when you look at 2022 stats, 22 starts, 137 innings, I think where the White Sox and the state that that they're currently in, Jim, in 2024, I think that's the dream here. Like, I, I... I think those are decent goals, ignoring ERA, because the fastball, not not only does he not get a lot of velocity on that pitch, where Flexen's average velocity on the four-seamer hovers around 92 miles per hour. And we did that podcast episode last year, and it might be worth revisiting just to see on how opposing hitters did. Velocity on four-seamers continues to increase, and it has to increase because starting pitchers today, especially starting pitchers today, they get rocked when they're throwing 91-92, especially on the corners. There has been this perception that if you can command the four-seam fastball and you don't throw high velocity and you can hit the corners, you're fine. However, opposing hitters are figuring out a way to take that pitch and going opposite field. So... When it comes to forcing fastball, velocity is king. And if you can't chuck it 93-94, you might want to throw a different pitch as often as you did with the forcing fastball. So this is kind of where I almost want the White Sox and Bannister and Ethan Katz Jim just to like imagine Chris Flexen as a Lego set, break it and rebuild it. Because what's the harm here if you have him completely pitch maybe backwards, maybe he throws his cutter more, maybe to your point like Jesse Schultz, he throws more breaking pitches. You can't survive in the major leagues with this poor fastball, and you can't keep throwing it 40% of the time if you're allowing crazy successful stats to opposing hitters. So that's kind of where I'm looking at Chris Flexen. Yes, White Sox fans, I think he's going to be part of the starting rotation on opening day because this is a guaranteed contract. But this feels like an experiment. Let's break Flexen and let's see, try new techniques if we can maybe get a 2022 version out of Flexen for a little amount of money. 
Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I think probably the simplest thing is to see, like, can we get the carry back on his fastball? Because he lost a little bit of vertical life on his fastball, and I think that's why he gave so many more homers, even though he lost no velocity. So it could be a case of just, like, you can get back to a plurality of fastballs if you can get that life back because then he can work top of the zone a little bit above it, uh, breaking balls down, you know, that kind of classic formula for a pitcher with that kind of fastball life. But if the fastball doesn't come back, then, yeah, I think it needs to be a um, junk balling approach, basically. Just, uh, you know, you know, 33, 33, 33 in terms of uh, what you're throwing and when you're throwing it and, and trying to confuse the hitters that way because it definitely didn't play. But yeah, in 2022, like he did lose a spot in the rotation, but that's because they added Luis Castillo. That's why he lost a spot. Looking at that rotation, like I didn't realize how durable it was. It's kind of like the 2005 White Sox. Robbie Ray, 32 starts. Logan Gilbert, 32 starts. Marco Gonzalez, 32 starts. George Kirby, 25 starts. Then Luis Castillo coming up and taking Flexen's spot. So basically, like, the rotation spot went from Flexen, who was decent, to Castillo, who was one of the league's best pitchers. So there's no shame in him losing at spot and being like, yeah, I guess somebody's got to go to the bullpen. And I'm the least impressive right-hander that we have. So I guess it's going to be me. So that's why I think like, you know, 2022 would certainly be fine. And even though like he did have to shift the slider there, there was some evidence that he could lean on that slider more. But I think it comes back to whether they can fix the fastball. If not, it's going to be just like kind of along the lines of Jose Urania when the White Sox claimed him from the Rockies, like, Poor at the Rockies, and he came back and he was okay. You know, not exactly sure how he was doing it because the peripherals weren't impressive, but that's kind of besides the point when you're just trying to get like decent starts from anybody at that point of the year. And I think Flexen at least has durability on the side, and maybe they have a notion. And for the money they're paying him and how many starts they need to soak up over the course of the year, uh, a lot of times those guys will qualify as being worthy of starts at some point, whether it's like Six months, four months, three months, one month, like all options are on the table when you just need to get by. Maybe he could be a poor man's Lucas Giolito because Flexen's best pitch is the changeup. And it was an average pitch in 2023. In 2022, it had a run value of positive six. And in 2021, it had a run value positive nine. And it's been his strongest pitch the last three years. So maybe to your point, like, cutting up his pitch arsenal, be a three-pitch pitcher, four-seamer, a cutter slash slider, and then a changeup, and just throw that pitch 33% of the time if the four-seam is not fixed. Again, instead of looking at war, instead of looking at ERA, when it comes to Chris Flexen, I guess we'll be judging him by game start and innings pitch, because if he could throw more than 100 innings, I'm assuming the White Sox are continuing to trot him out because everything else looks good. Yeah, it's the, I always liken it to post-surgery John Danks. Like, if you are the worst qualified starting pitcher in the league, that's actually not bad, because qualifying means you're actually serving a purpose, even if it's not pretty on a given day and nobody looks forward to like nobody's saying oh it's post-surgery John Danks day you're not seeing social media light up every five days with that kind of billing but at least you know like it's he's not going to tax the bullpen or he's going to have up and down performances but the ups actually help them win games like there's always a reason if somebody's qualifying for the ERA title that there's one purpose being served if not multiple purposes being served and we're seeing the White Sox this entire winter basically acquiring single purpose kitchen implements 
Uh, like they can play defense. They can make starts. Uh, they can uh, play defense again. They can play defense again. Uh, they can they can game plan for pitchers and play defense. Like we're seeing that, but like the, when it comes to a secondary skill, uh, those are in short supply. And I think Flexen fits in that mold of just like well, he takes starts. He's durable. Uh, can they actually be good starts? Again, he makes starts. <laughs> yeah, the the White Sox rotation right now is Dylan Cease, Eric Fetty, Mike Soroka, Chris Flexen, and Tuki Tucson. Maybe. Why, why do you Mike say Soroka, maybe, maybe on Mike Soroka? <laughs> if he's healthy enough. Well, because yeah, if he's healthy, like just he has not been physically able to take the, but yeah, just he's pencil him in, but have, yeah. make sure the eraser is I clean. I mean, that's your starting rotation. How that starting rotation does not develop it to be the best starting rotation of the American League Central Gym. I'll never figure out why. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> the, the, the best, uh, the best rotation coupons can buy. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, welcome, Chris Flexen, to the Chicago White Sox. Remember that name. It'll be on the Sporkle quiz at the end of the year. Oh, man. There's going to be a lot of random names and fa- faces that enjoy the White Sox in 2024. But they add another starting pitcher to the mix. And we'll see how Flexen does in spring training and what we see from him in spring training, if that builds any hope that he could have a decent start to the 2024 season and we'll see where he is in June. But we're going to talk about some old friends here in a moment. While the White Sox are stealing headlines with their clearance sightings, uh, the Boston Red Sox make two very notable moves over the weekend, and we'll talk about those old friends after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. 
Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. As you guys have learned over the years, one of my favorite memes is old friend alerts. And we had quite the old friend alert over the weekend out in Boston. A little bit of a surprise. Old friend Lucas Giolito signed a two-year contract, a little more than $38 million, that there is a buyout after the first season for Giolito. A similar deal that Carlos Rodon, another old friend, signed with the San Francisco Giants after leaving the Chicago White Sox. It's a deal that for Lucas Giolito, if he bounces back, he can become a free agent and try to net a larger deal. If he doesn't perform well, the Boston Red Sox have an opportunity to get out of the deal. For a moment, a brief day, Lucas Giolito and another old friend, Chris Sale, were going to be part of the same rotation. However, the very next day, ESPN's Jeff Passett broke the news before the Atlanta Braves could, a minor upset, that the Atlanta Braves had traded for Chris Sale in exchange for Vaughn Grissom and sending quite a bit of money over to the Red Sox to pay for Chris Sale. And it's a little bit of a bizarre move because for a player transaction, it's really one for one as the expectation now in Boston is that Vaughn Grissom will be their starting second baseman paired up with Trevor Story, who is going to be their starting shortstop. And Rafael Devers is still at third base. And Chris Sale joins the Atlanta Braves starting rotation as we knew that the Braves were interested in adding more starters. They flirted with Aaron Nola at the beginning of the offseason and we thought that they could be a strong contender for Dylan Cease until they dismayed or I should say dismissed those rumors during the winter meetings in Nashville in early December. They do get their veteran starter at Chris Sale and we'll see on how the Condor performs for the Atlanta Braves, but there's more interesting tidbits coming out of Boston. And Jim, that's kind of where I want to start before we get into the individual moves here, because I do want like your feedback and your thoughts about Lucas Giolito joining the Red Sox and the Chris sale trade to Atlanta. But word out of Boston is Chris Cotillo, another old friend from SB nation days, uh, writing out of Boston and he covers the Red Sox now wrote that the Red Sox have to maintain a budget, a player payroll below the luxury tax, that the mandated goal is $225 million. Right now, the Red Sox are over that amount, so they may have to shed even more payroll, but they still want to add, and they want to add more starting pitching to the roster. As the new Red Sox GM, Craig Breslow, told the Boston Globe's Alex Spire that the Red Sox need to be ready to deal young prospects to trade for quality, controllable starting pitching. Man, the Red Sox are not the spending juggernaut that they were not that long ago. They suddenly have Mm -hmm. kind of shifted gears. But what do you make of the situation out in Boston? And when you hear that the Red Sox... GM says that they need to be ready to deal young prospects to trade for quality controllable starting pitching, man, doesn't that put the Red Sox into the group of teams that could be calling about Dylan cease? Yeah. It does seem like he's trying to 
uh, prime uh, the fan base or the media uh, around the Red Sox to be ready for such a trade? Like, I don't know if you say that if you don't have a deal in mind, whether it's Dylan Cease or somebody else. But I guess with Cease, it depends on whether two years is considered controllable, like, or whether he's thinking like three or more. But Cease, you know, given that he's going to be making like, probably at most $25 million over the next two years. Like that's why his trade value was so high, even if like he was coming off a relatively down season or like, you know, um, you know, not, not the Cy Young follow-up that everybody hoped to see from him just because like he's getting paid as much as Kenta Maeda. He's getting paid way less than Lucas Giolito after Giolito's down year. Um, Frankie Montas uh, making uh, double what Cease is expected to make next year even though Montas only pitched like one game last year so there are reasons why like Getz has been asking quite a lot for Cease and like the Reds leaked uh the offer that the White Sox wanted uh from the Reds and it was like five prospects and like three top 100 guys and like a steep asking price maybe not a bad like initial like heat check like test how uh desperate the reds are but like a price you probably want to come down from a little bit to get a deal done but like if he's not that enamored with what the reds have to offer and he's waiting for other teams to get involved like the red Sox do have some quality position player prospects that could interest the white Sox, and there could be a match there so like i'm open to it like the red Sox were kind of off my radar a little bit just because they don't have like the or it's just kind of unclear how hard they're trying in a very stacked division. Like, are they going to make the best use of Cease's two years? Or are they regrouping a little bit, trying to get under the luxury tax and not really interested in adding? Uh, The thing about Breslow, like with Breslow and Getz, you have two former players. And I remember talking about this with the winter meetings uh, with uh, Dan Zimborski when we met up with him saying like, there was a time, um, you know, like in in the aughts, where like you'd have X players dealing with X players and you'd see like the kind of competitive instincts coming in, like either, you know, being okay to take a chance or trying to get like a, trying to take a bold swing to uh, climb back into a division race, even it might've been theoretically ahead of schedule or just like, uh, you know, kind of doing some challenge trades, alpha maneuvers, etc. And now that you're seeing more former players going back into the GM seats, even if they are you know, more analytically oriented than uh, the former players of your, I wonder if you're going to see that kind of just um, fearlessness or less reservation of dealing prospects like, you know, the Orioles, they don't have a former player in charge. They're very prospect hoarding uh, with their approach, but with like former players, like, Sometimes you'll see like, oh, I want to make a deal or we need to shake things up or I have the I know how clubhouses are supposed to be and we need this guy for that. Like, I am curious if you're going to see like more deals made like from the seat of the pants. And there's that possibility here, like a Breslow saying it, like telegraphing some kind of move, like maybe he is that guy, even if he is like analytical and Yale educated and so forth like they still might have that competitive instinct to say like yeah i want to i want to get good faster so here's dylan cease the red Sox do have four top 100 prospects according to mlb.com they have two top 50 prospects marcelo mayer been a big fan of him ever since draft day good looking kid he's, uh, he's the, a little jimmy uh good looking kid yeah yes he was yeah marcelo mayer good looking kid 11th ranked prospect he's in double a just 21 years old 
But there's some questions with Trevor Story signed for a while and Rafael Devers signing his big contract. And they just traded for Vaughn Grissom. Is Marcelo Mayer now suddenly available? Roman Anthony is somebody that I thought highly of while covering the MLB draft. I thought he could be a good target for the Chicago White Sox. We've heard whispers that the White Sox were on his radar, maybe using a second-round pick. This kid is 19 years old. He's huge as far as body frame goes. He hit 294 with a 412 on base percentage and slugged 569 in high A last year for the Boston Red Sox and also continued to mash in double A. He's just 19 years old, and I think he'll be that prototype, uh, typical right fielder in the major league. So those are your two top 50 prospects. I don't know if the Red Sox, let me put it this way. Based on what you just said with former players, Jim, I think you make a good point. Maybe a Marcelo Mayer and Roman Anthony do suddenly become available in a Dylan Cease trade if the Red Sox are very desperate, especially Breslow, coming in and the Red Sox still want to win and they are in a very tough division in the American League East. Maybe you can get one of those two for Cease to headline a deal and that would be a big get for the White Sox. A really big get. And those are the types of position players that they're really missing right now. Like having Marcelo Mayer and Colson Montgomery, now you could really dream this is your left side of the infield. You can move Montgomery over to third base because you have a bona fide shortstop in Marcelo Mayer who is ready to pick up the torch from Paul DeYoung whenever you're ready to push him up to the major leagues and he's still very young. And then you have two prospects and... Using the baseball value calculator, uh, that website, Jim, the trade calculator, that mm-hmm. according to that trade calculator, you can get Sadon Raffaella, who seems to be like a Mookie Betts type of player, undersized. He's 5'9", but he's won multiple years as the best defensive player for the Boston Red Sox. Scouts rave his defensive ability not just in the infield, but also in center field. And they rave about his arm. And that's where the Mookie Betts comps come in. Cause maybe you can push him over to right field, especially from a white Sox perspective, when you already have a world-class defensive center fielder in Luis Robert. But if something were to happen to Luis Robert, Rafaela can move over to center. He did get some time in the majors last year, just 83 at bats, not a crazy good slash line at all, but he did hit two homers with six doubles in 28 games for the Boston Red Sox and 83 at-bats. And then you have Kyle Teal, who was selected one pick before the White Sox took Ole Miss shortstop Jacob Gonzalez in last year's draft. (laughs) Andrew Benatendi all over again. Yeah, Andrew Benatendi all over again. Uh, The feedback that I got from Red Sox fans, though, on social media is that Kyle Teal is untouchable, supposedly. Uh, because catchers are hard to come by and that's one guy the Red Sox are not willing to move. But like when I hear you talking about ex-players and Getz and Breslow being the GMs, I think it's crazy on paper to suggest the Red Sox would move Marcelo Mayer or Roman Anthony to headline a deal for Dylan Cease. But what other choice do the Red Sox have if the Red Sox new front office is given the demand that you need to stay below the luxury tax, but we cannot finish in last place in the American League East. I mean, this is a loaded division still, Jim. 
And the only way that the Red Sox can mm-hmm. get out of the cellar and compete in that incredibly tough division and compete for a postseason spot, they need to make a splash via trade. And they moved a veteran in Chris Sale. They got to replace Chris Sale. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm dreaming a little bit, but maybe this could be a path between the White Sox and Red Sox. And let's say if the White Sox could get either Marcelo May or Roman Anthony. I mean, I don't know how you say no to that from a White Sox perspective because these guys are guys you can dream about and helping you out starting in 2025, which is exactly the type of the move that we are missing from the White Sox this this offseason. Yeah, they're both left-handed bats as well, uh, Mayer and Anthony. So, like, that helps address a long-standing issue with the White Sox in terms of uh, balancing their lineup uh, from that side. I also like, you know, in terms of, like, the tertiary players being involved, like Nick York wouldn't be a bad, like, third guy in if they had, like, say, like, if it was only one of Mayer and Anthony and then they had to go a little bit down list, like, York being a second baseman who's now blocked and, you know, has some... uh, you know, patience and power and like Keith Law is saying, like there's a little bit more in his swing they should be able to get out of, but haven't been able to get yet. Like White Sox haven't proven that kind of team to be able to get that kind of uh, potential, but like given that he's in double A, like could produce this year, White Sox, that position's wide open, like keep adding options uh, to these, um, you know, the, these positions of need. So between the, you know, right field and second base, like the more options, the better. So I like their you know, top 100 prospects, obviously, but they have some guys who are like, down, you know, just off the list or maybe were on the list and then fell off a little bit. That could be, you know, fell out of package, you know, in a way that interests the White Sox because the White Sox don't even have, uh, when it comes to the outfield, especially outfield and second base, like they don't have those guys yet unless they're asking a whole lot from like Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos to like be the infielders and, and address those positions for the foreseeable future. And I think as much as I like Ramos as like a, you know, maybe not number two prospect in the system, but like top five prospect in the system, like just asking a lot for both those guys to stick and be immediately productive. And uh, so like the more options, the better. I think Ramos needs to play second base in spring training. He could still get some time at third base defensively. The more I watched him to your point and cap tip to you, Jim, because he did tell me over 2023 that Ramos could probably stick at third and okay. I'm a little bit more sold when I watch him, but if, there, if Ramos wants to play in the majors in 2024, I think that's second base. Same thing with Colson Montgomery, but I, I don't know how that transition would work for Colson Montgomery moving over to shortstop to second base. I think it's either shortstop, third, or maybe Colson Montgomery is your future right fielder, but I, I still want to see on how Montgomery does defensively. Yeah, so for those two guys, and then, you know, Edgar Caro, maybe he helps out at the catching position in 2024 for the White Sox. That's really it. Like everybody else, I don't know how you can come up with a top 30 prospect list for the White Sox, especially on the position player front. Everything has fizzled out so much. The outfielders that we thought could maybe one of them could stick. None of them have stuck. All those second basemen, I continue to lose more and more confidence in their ability to be major leaguers with every passing year. And it's like now you're down to Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos. And then circling back to the Boston Red Sox, in which eight of their top 10 prospects, according to MLB.com, are position players. Actually, one through eight are position players. 
maybe this is a direction that I did not foresee when we had that podcast episode, what a month ago when I try to come up mm-hmm. with like the five best fits for the white Sox and Dylan cease trades. Maybe I'm selling myself more talking about Boston situation, but I could see this being a match between the white Sox and red Sox. Yeah, I didn't see them trading uh, Chris Sale, and I think that surprised a lot of people. And yeah, it's also true. surprising, like, the price that the uh, Braves are paying uh, Vaughn Grissom, who's, like, a good player, you know, good prospect, you know, could be a valuable member of a team if he can resume you know, or restore his form from a couple of years ago and, like, be a middle infielder who's under team control and shouldn't be, like, paid exorbitantly through arbitration. Like, he could be a nice... Uh, spot filler in any lineup card, but like a lot of teams have guys like that. The White Sox don't, but a lot of teams do. Uh, and given how much cash the Red Sox sent the Braves way, uh, it would seem like a lot of teams could do that. So I'm curious, like whether the Braves will be vindicated or whether there's reason why, like the price was so low because Sale just can't, you know physically hold up anymore to the demands of starting pitching over the course of a six month season. Like I'm going to be fascinated by this deal because you could see it working really well where if like sales throw 150 innings, like that's a steal for the Braves and uh, the Braves have been good at this kind of deal. And they've been so active that maybe they have like an imagination or see stuff that other teams don't see based on just how many transactions they've already performed this winter. But like if it doesn't pan out and like the Red Sox get a nice deal and just, you know, one of those classic contracts where like, um, you know, I'm thinking like Robinson Cano and Prince Fielder and such like you can always get out from under these deals if you're willing to pay some freights like that's that's, you know, with the White Sox being so unwilling to go to nine figures for anybody like this could be another case like if Grissom's good and sale just continues to be injured uh, that like you can always pay your way out from under something. Uh, unless it's, you know, maybe like the, the biggest disaster deal of all time, but like for just for an underperforming inefficient contract, there always seem to be teams that are willing to take on that player. If you throw enough money that way. And sometimes like, that's the best way to do it. Just pay the, you know, pay the cost, turn the page and move on and, and enjoy your new player that you got. Let me throw something at you because part of the equation here, the Red Sox want to cut payroll and add. Do you think the White Sox would entertain a trade with the Red Sox or Dylan Cease that involved taking on the contract of Kenley Jansen, who's getting paid $16 million this upcoming season to be the Red Sox closer? They should. Like, I mean, like that's, I mean, I don't know how much that gives you, if that gives you Roman Anthony, right? If the Red Sox say, yes, you can. Yeah, you can get Roman Anthony, but I need you to take Kenley Jansen's contract. In a heartbeat. Like, they can use relievers still, even if Kenley Jansen's, like, nothing special. Like, they need nothing special relievers. I'm thinking that... They're just filling out a roster I'm wondering point. if that's the route, Jim. Because from a money perspective, yeah, the White Sox take on $16 million, so they add eight, seven to $8 million onto their player payroll in the exchange for Dylan Cease. The Red Sox would save seven to eight million dollars, but add another starting pitcher. So the Red Sox get what they want. Maybe the White Sox get Jansen, they get Roman Anthony, maybe a Nick York, to your point, maybe another prospect that they get throw in. The Red Sox have one of the Cespedes, so why not? Uh, but at the trade deadline, if Jansen 
He's got like 15 saves that he's healthy and he's closing out games for the White Sox when he gets those opportunities. It's another opportunity to flip him in July for some other guys. So even though it's a $16 million price tag, maybe you can get away with just paying him $8 million and you plan on flipping him at the deadline. Like, if, listeners, I'm trying to, I guess I'm selling myself on this angle but it seems like it's not going to be like an orthodox type of trade. But I, I, yeah, I mean, if you can get a Roman Anthony by taking on Kenley Jensen's contract, Jim, yeah, maybe you're right. Like, how do you say no to that? Yeah, that's something, I mean, the the Mets do. have <laughs> done a lot of just like basically buying prospects um, or, you know, sending a prospect. Yeah, they've, they've done it both ways uh, because money is nothing to them. But like with the White Sox cutting as much as they cut with as many like bullpen spots as they have open, like it would seem like a no-brainer. You know, if this is as much spending as they're going to do, like Eric Fetty represents the top end of their spending, then yeah, I mean, like they cut... Or, or they cut uh, Kendall Graveman's salary, Joe Kelly's salary. They've delayed or deferred Liam Hendricks, what he's owed. So if you're going to spend the bullpen, or like they, they've they've spent so much on the bullpen for worse reasons, this would be like spending on the bullpen for a good reason. I mean, like even if they acquired Jensen with, Jansen with the like express purpose of releasing him, which some teams do. Like, that's how the uh, the Mets got Trevor Gott from the Mariners. They traded for Chris Flexen. Like, yeah, we'll take on Chris Flexen's $4 million to get Trevor Gott, and then we'll cut Flexen immediately. And that's what they did. Uh, they just saw a way to, like, yeah, we'll absorb uh, some, some other team's bad money for a reliever we can use. And the White Sox, given how much they've cut, how much they probably can continue to cut over the course of, like, the deadline uh, next year, uh, you know, should they keep you know, moving salaries in the case of like trading Dylan cease, that's another $8 million. Uh, so, I mean, like that's money going out. So yeah, buying prospects is what they should be doing in order to try to, uh, get, uh, a critical mass of players faster, uh, than they currently have them. And then finally, cause you mentioned Chris sale going to Atlanta and I'm with you. I think that's got a, a sneaky chance to be a good deal for the Atlanta Braves, especially if Chris Sale can last the entire season and becomes like a three-war pitcher for the Atlanta Braves uh, to pair up with like Max Fried. You're not asking Chris Sale to be the ace. You're asking Chris Sale to be a mid-rotation type of starting pitcher, which at this point of his career, that's probably achievable for Chris Sale, but that could still be a really good deal for the Atlanta Braves, and I like their creativity with their roster construction. Uh, again, they're gonna they're still gonna be one of the best teams in Major League Baseball, one of the favorites in the National League. Them and the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's gonna be a great battle all season long. But Lucas Giolito going to Boston, and there's some immediate reaction from White Sox fans that don't think this is a good pairing for Giolito, especially at Fenway. <laughs> and there have been some rough games that Giolito has had in Boston. How do you think this signing is going to fare? For the Red Sox and for Lucas Giolito on a personal level. Well, uh, yeah, we remember the Patriots Day uh, yeah, start, the, the, the morning start. <laughs> yeah, um, it's you know I, I think Giolito, you know, at this point in his career, like he's still in his twenties, still was good at the White Sox. Like the sticky stuff 
I think sticky stuff helped him, but like he was good after the sticky stuff ban. Uh, he's just, you know, I think his pitch mix is a rather delicate one to where like he needs his fastball to be so good. He needs his change to be so good to be like an above average starter who might get a little bit of Cy Young support if everything goes well. Whereas like if his fastball is just like either loses a little bit of spin efficiency or the arm slot isn't right, then the, the, the whole approach can kind of collapse a little bit uh, because all of a sudden his changeup doesn't have that fade. If it doesn't have that quite, you know, the hand position or whatever he needs to get it going. And the slider is okay, but has never been like a dominant pitch. So that's why I think like, yeah, if he restores it, then it's in, you know, it's a good contract. Like it's, you know, a minimal deal. Like it's, it's a, it's a gamble in the sense that like all pitchers are gambles. But like when he's good and when everything's clicking, like he's definitely good for that kind of deal. And that's why he had the demands that he had for the extension he wanted to sign with the White Sox, you know, before entering free agency. Uh, right now, that would look like a mistake uh, by the White Sox. And, and so they dodged maybe a bullets. But for a two year deal, like, yeah, it's fine. I, I think the reason why he signed for two years, whereas like, you know, Yamamoto signed for 12 and uh, with the contract Blake Snell might get the contract Jordan Montgomery might get the contract Aaron Nola got is that like I think his his approach is more delicate and if he gets off track like it can last for longer or the starts can be uglier so I think that's you know if you were uh, a more sound proposition he would be getting a three four five year deal and that's why like that naturally naturally reflects the gamble that he is. So that's why, you know, it's, it's an okay contract. And I think most teams would be okay giving him that kind of deal. Like we talked about earlier, I just don't know how honest or aggressive the Red Sox really are about winning in this division. You know, whether it's more or less, you know, kind of like making gestures towards winning, but not actually having the ownership support to drive it or whether they, you know, John Henry is like convinced like, yeah, we need to win. And that's why Haim Bloom's out. That's why Craig Breslow's in and Gilito's going to be the guy who gets it done. We have an idea for him that can get his fastball back on track, but yeah, uh, 41 homers last year in Fenway. Uh, you know, it's, if it goes bad, it could, it could quickly sour on him. Certainly don't hope so because like, you know, he, he represented the white Sox. Well, enjoyable guy to root for, uh, and you know, we've seen him, uh, at his best. We've seen him at his worst, a lot more enjoyable. just, you know, rooting for the person when he's at his best, because like he certainly, everything we saw publicly, uh, suggests that he's good for that kind of support. So here's hoping, uh, that there is an upturn for him, uh, in Boston. Again, Giolito with the White Sox last year, 21 starts, 3.79 ERA covered 121 innings his era plus was 118 he was 18 better than league average i don't know what happened in anaheim i don't know what happened in cleveland completely different guy completely different guy he allowed 20 homers with the white Sox over 21 starts he allowed 21 homers and 12 starts combined with the angels and guardians like i'm i'm shocked i was very shocked at how poor he pitched away from the White Sox after the trade deadline. But if the Red Sox can get 3.79 Lucas Giolito, a 118 ERA plus, the player option for Giolito comes with just a $1 million buyout or a $19 million contract for the 2025 season. If Giolito gets back to his White Sox form, then I think that's an easy, I'll take your million dollars and I'll go test free agency again. So I think, yeah, for the Red Sox and Giolito, 
this really feels like a one-year deal, even though it reads two years and $38.5 million. This really reads like a one-year deal, Jim. Yeah, unless you know, obviously it goes poorly for Giolito, whether it's injury or something else, the, the Homer problems uh, continue. And then like, yeah, it's a two-year deal. So it's this is the case where, uh, you know, kind of like Carlos Rodon, the player holds all the cards. Like if you're, the, the Red Sox have to approach it like, a gamble uh, that's, you know, they're fine getting one good year out of him and then they'll see what the market looks like afterwards or they'll see what their homegrown pitching options look like to replace him or they'll see like, well, he, we have Dylan Cease for another year if they trade for him after that. Uh, but they have to be prepared that if it uh, blows up on them that uh, maybe they're just saddled with another uh, salary they have to send out. We'll see how it goes for Giolito and the Boston Red Sox. Let's see if there's any more trade smoke. Again, we're just speculating here. Nothing solid about the Red Sox interest in Dylan Cease, but after this conversation, I think both parties should have a conversation about making a deal. This could be a better fit than I was expecting, uh, especially if the Red Sox are willing to part with the Marcelo Mayer or Roman Anthony, two top 50 prospects within their farm system. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And again, I hope you had a wonderful New Year's Eve celebration and you're having a great start to 2024. You can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can also watch the Sox Machine podcast on youtube.com slash Sox Machine. If you do go to our YouTube page, please hit the subscribe button. We greatly appreciate it. You can follow us on social media or on all the platforms at Sox Machine or follow me there at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, what better time than to sign up for the Sox Machine Patreon than on New Year's Day. You can sign up for an annual subscription to our Patreon where you get exclusive content and ad-free versions of both the podcast and website and invites to exclusive Sox Machine events like our curling event that we're hosting in February. And we'll have special things going on, especially with our road trips planned for this upcoming season to Milwaukee and Kansas City. Again, you save with an annual subscription. So if you enjoy your work and you're not a Patreon supporter, but you want to be, go to patreon.com slash SoxMachine and sign up today. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.